All right, good morning, everybody. Today is a deadline for kids camp. If, uh, if you would, get your kids signed up and get their registrations in with a, a check. We can get the money or the food, for, the money for the food and all that, and head count and T-shirts and all that. Um, you should have gotten an email. Uh, if you're not on the email list, it uh, be a good idea to get on that if you can. There's a form. You go right to our page, and it says sign up, register. Just, so sign up for our email, and then you'll have it. And then we send out those digital copies of these registration forms or anything else that you need immediately. Uh, we can get those to you. So that's a great way to get that information. Um, children's ministry, uh, kind of a conference dinner on July 9th at 6 p.m. The sign-up sheet's out there for those of you in the children's ministry. Uh, we hope you're all going to be there, but we do need a, a head count. So if you don't mind putting your name down and, and um, every name so that's going to be there so that you all get food. And so um, that's what we need that for. So that's out there also for you to uh, sign up for. Um, today at 2 o'clock out at Mazingo, we've got a baptism. I don't know how many we have. I know we have one for sure. So uh, come on out for that at 2 o'clock at Mazingo Beach. We'll be baptizing and if you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior and you've never been water baptized before, um, today's the day. It'd be a great day for you to do it. Uh, join us out there. Bring your swimsuit. I wear shoes if I were you. I wear shoes when I go in. Uh, bring a towel and uh, and then uh, dedicate your life to the Lord. It's a great, great day for that. All right, today in chapters 3 and 4 of Nehemiah, that's where we'll be. Chapter 3, I'm not going to read so much, but I will tell you what it's about. It's the names of all the families that are taking their position on the wall and begin to build alongside Nehemiah. Nehemiah's plan was not to start in one section of the wall and work his way around the city. It was to build up the wall on all sides at the same time. Um, we weren't concerned about getting to the height. We were concerned about getting a barrier all the way around. One foot, two foot, three foot, depending on how many courses of brick they had at the time. That's how high their defense was. It was important for him to do it that way. Everybody's involved all the time. There was no uh, bottlenecking at the construction site. And everybody got their hands on it. Everybody had their section of wall that they would build and then also maintain. Um, they would defend it. That would be their section. It was, there was ownership involved. As we've gone through this return from Babylon to Israel, um, this captivity, uh, God releasing them and bringing them back. We've seen the Lord work in amazing ways through three different men, and it really represents our walk with God. God always provides for us exactly what we have need of that day. The first thing the children of Israel needed was someone like Zerubbabel, to have that uh, pioneering spirit, to be able to go to a land that nobody really had been there before. There was a few older guys that tagged along and would remember what the old temple looked like. But for the most part, it was a new generation showing up and, and moving from something you've known and are comfortable with to something you've never seen before, known before, and to do a job and to do a calling that you've never, um, well, had any training for whatsoever, that takes a special kind of heart. And it takes a special kind of leader for that. And that's what Zerubbabel was for them. Uh, in a lot of ways, that represents our walk with the Lord. We stepped into Christianity as a born-again believer, not knowing what to expect. We've seen a lot of religion maybe in our lives. We've seen a lot of other people walk the walk, but never really knowing the mechanics or the details or the hidden struggles that go along with that. I've seen that come up more often than not in people's lives. Is I, I didn't expect the isolation. I didn't expect the loneliness. Because coming to Christ being a born-again believer, making him the master passion of my life, really alienated me from a lot of people in my life that weren't willing to go in that direction. 
And that's something you need to know as a believer, that that's normal. The world is abnormal. Walking with God and having a close relationship in this world is abnormal. It's not the, it's not the most common thing you're going to see out there. And so to be isolated is pretty good evidence that you're going in the right direction. The, the path to hell is, is it's a road, they say. Jesus says it's wide, and many go there. But few are on the path to God, to everlasting life. And so it's to be expected that on this path that's very narrow compared to the broad path, that you're going to be not inundated with a lot of friendship, maybe a, a lot of companionship or a lot of support even. You truly are following Jesus. And um, he's the only thing that matters to you. And so we see that as these guys travel and they go, they're looking at Zerubbabel and, he, and, he, and he's helping them pioneer their way in there. The next group we see is with Ezra. And I know I've gone over this every single week, every, every chapter, but there's a reason for that. As a teacher, uh, repetition really helps people remember. And so you're going to know these three. Someone's going to ask you someday, a year or two from now, and say, you know, have you ever heard about the Babylonian captivity? Oh, yeah. You mean Zerubbabel, Ezra, or Nehemiah? And they're going to be like, How'd you learn that? Well, that's because um, you were annoyed with me repeating this over and over again every, every week. Ezra was the next leader to bring back the next wave, and he led the spiritual wave. He's the one that builds the temple and gets it ready for worship. Their problem now is that they're undefended, that although they have a place to worship, they have to always watch their backs because they never know if it's going to be worship in peace or whether they're going to be attacked or ridiculed or mocked, and, and we know that uh, from Nehemiah's explanation of him traveling back, it was because that the walls were not built in Jerusalem. It was because that they were in distress, um, that the, the people were losing heart. The worship had basically ceased. People were going back to old habits, and it was all because this protection of their worship hadn't been uh, built up in their lives. And that is um, our third I believe walk with the Lord, our example of our walk with the Lord is the Holy Spirit in our lives. In the beginning of, yeah, I'm going into Christianity. I've never been there before. I'm beginning to worship God like I've never worshiped before, but I also need to build up walls and gates. I think that's the key to this this morning, walls and gates in my life. I'm not here to build a wall all the way around my life to where I can't go out or they can't come in, but I am going to control what comes into my life, and I'm going to control where I go. I'm going to make my life a little easier to defend. I'm going to make my walk with the Lord easier to defend by making sure that there are walls in areas that there's no reason for this to be wide open, and there are gates that I can pass through and other people can pass through into my life, but I'm in charge of that. I'm the one that allows those things to take place, and God calls us to that, and that's what Nehemiah brings to them. He brings leadership that's going to control the flow into their life. He's going to bring peace in some ways because they're going to set up safeguards they're going to set up things that are necessary. And as Christians, we need to do that. Um, in this section, chapter 3, he names off every name, every family, where they were located, what they were responsible for. And as a whole, and this is where we may get more of the example of the body of Christ, how we all have a role and a responsibility, but we all serve the same purpose and the same goal, the, the Lord, um, Jesus. In much the same way, their success on their portion of the wall was a success for everybody in Jerusalem. That section of the wall being built properly and being brought up to the right height as, as, as fast as everybody else's, 
was a blessing to everybody involved. That's one area they didn't have to worry about. As a person, I didn't have to worry about every area of the wall. I had to worry about my portion of the wall. And that's a, that's a very important thing. We are, the, we are the sum of its parts in Christianity. Um, the church, the body of Christ, is only as good as you and your walk with the Lord. Um, and if you're the weak link, you're the weak link, and that's something that you work on. Um, uh, the body of Christ is functioning with gifts of the Holy Spirit given to us by Jesus Christ. And when a person filled with the Holy Spirit given gifts of Jesus Christ isn't using those gifts as unto the Lord, then the body of Christ isn't using those gifts as unto the Lord. It's like having blinders on someone who has eyesight but just won't open their eyes, you know, or they won't, they won't use their gifts, and we need to do that. And so we see this taking place. It's a wonderful thing. Um, I've got six different things written down here about this chapter. If you've decided to follow Jesus, you will be unhappy doing anything else. Um, they, they came back to the land um, to do this one thing, to worship the Lord. That's why they've come back, um, and they weren't anymore. And so when Nehemiah hears of their distress and how low the morale is there, it's because they can't join in with the world anymore. The world is against them. They're not doing what they're supposed to be doing by worshiping God in spirit and truth. And therefore, they're the most miserable people on the face of the earth. This is exactly what he says in the New Testament. We are the most pitied if this is all for naught. We need to walk with the Lord and get close to him and begin to do what he's called us to do. The second thing I wrote, your love for Jesus does not go unnoticed by the world. As a Christian, and we watch these things, we see that as these walls are being built, the enemy is watching as well, and seeing these walls go up and these gates go up is offensive to them. They notice these things. You weren't on the radar before, but now they can't keep their eyes off of your actions and what you do. And You'll notice that. When you get to become a born-again believer and you begin to change your life and walk with him, all the people that could care less what you did Thursday, Friday, or Saturday now only care about what you do Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. And they call you on it. Why aren't you with us? Why aren't you doing what we do? Why, are you, why have you stopped doing this? Why have you started? It's, it's understandable. Um, they say, just by you building up the walls and gates of your walk with Jesus Christ, putting up barriers in your life, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to do those things. I am going to leave a gate here because I want to go there and do those things. By doing that, they feel judged because the wall is intended to keep out the world. And it's very hard for them to look at this wall and say, you just built a wall. I did. Well, I'm on the other side of that wall, you know. You are. And you don't have to say anything, but by the very fact that you've built that wall and put in a gate, and they now have to knock and ask permission to come or can only come under certain circumstances and do certain things in your life, they feel judged. And that's why they say what they say to you. Why are you judging me? I haven't said anything about you. Yeah, but you built a wall. I did build a wall. I did. I own that. But that's for my protection. When I become a born-again believer, when you become a born-again believer, these are the nuts and bolts of Christianity. That's why I'm going over this. Because a lot of people don't know this, or we forget. I have fallen in love with somebody. I have said yes, or I do, to the husband of my life. 
So I will defend his honor. I will respect him. I will obey him. I live for him. I live to serve him. And so anybody that causes me or wants me to withdraw from him or to criticize him or to put him down is very offensive to me and should be. I stand for Jesus. Not like he's my buddy. He is. He's our friend. He calls us friends or he's just my king. It's not just patriotism that keeps me close to Christ. I'm a citizen of heaven. We are. It's much, much deeper, more personal than both of those things. He's not my friend. He is. He's not just my king. He is. He's my husband. And I've cleaved him, and I've left all, and I've forsaken all. That's what those vows mean. When we do weddings, the whole thing is a picture. The whole wedding is a picture of our relationship with Jesus Christ, every single bit of it. The the bride dressed in white, Jesus makes us White, clean, even though she may not deserve to wear white. Christ makes us deserving of wearing white. He gives us the garment. We walk in and the father brings the bride to the son and hands him off to her and says, I brought you this beautiful bride, clean and white and pure. And they look at each other like no one's ever looked at each other before. I love those or those first reveal photos or whatever where the husband gets to see her for the first time. And she, he's just like, You know, that's how Christ sees you. And we forget that sometimes. And as the father hands her off and she steps up here and they begin to make vows and the husband always, or the the groom always initiates the, the wedding ceremony, always begins with the vows. I promise to do this. I promise to do this. And always to the bride first. Christ is always the first, he's the initiator of our relationship. And then we're the responder as she then promises to live for him and to forsake all others. And that's us with Christ. And then she loses her last name, which is not very popular today. And that's fine. That has nothing to do with anything, I guess. But (laughs) for the picture to be perfect... It's no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me. I take his name. I carry it wherever I go, whatever I do. It's in his name. It's in his honor. I represent him wherever I go. That's the idea behind all that. It isn't just that <laughs> it isn't just a patriarchal society and they're just trying to squish women's rights. No, no, no. The world, the world will never understand that. The Christian picture, what we ought to. And so as Christians, we build walls because I love my husband. I'm going to protect our marriage. I'm going to protect our family. I'm only going to go places I think are safe. I'm not going to allow things into my life that aren't a blessing to us. You know? And if I go out those gates, he's coming with me. You know? And it's only where he leads me, and it's only what he does, and he's my strength, and he's my fortress, and he's my... It's all in all. He's everything. And so that's why Nehemiah has come. To bring them to that place. This defense, I wrote number five here, keeps your core pure, keeps your worship pure. See, if, if Israel hasn't protected their worship of God in their lives to the point where they stop worshiping God because they're so worried about the world and what they're doing to them, then they become even weaker than they ever thought they could be. And as a Christian, I have to protect my worship. I protect my prayer time. I protect my time reading God's word. I protect, I mean, 
I know you know this, but the enemy does not want us showing up to gather together to worship. He doesn't want us gathering together for reading of his word or for prayer or for any of these things. There's a, there's a plethora of distractions and attacks that Satan throws at us to keep us from the very thing that keeps our core, keeps our worship of God pure and intact. And so we have to build up walls and gates but walls to make sure that that stays there. And that's what they're doing. Finally, six, your ministry emanates from a strong personal love of Jesus. They are of no value ministering the love of God and bringing people to the Lord unless their worship time is protected, unless their adoration and love for Jesus is intact. And that's the same for us. I do not do the world any good when I go to work or when I go out those gates, or when I do anything, if I haven't been with Jesus. I bring nothing but myself then. And myself does not help people in their situations. It is not, I am not the answer to their problems. I remember in high school, people would call me back when we had the, the stringy cords attached to the phone, you know, and, and I don't, it wasn't, we did have one of those where you picked up the receiver and held it to your ear because my mom and dad liked retro stuff. Even then that was retro, but we had one of those and they would call me and, oh, J.D., I need some advice. And I'd give them my brilliant 15-year-old wisdom that I had. Stupid. Just me. Made myself feel good, pumped myself up, got them in more trouble than, than if they hadn't called me. And that's how it is. We bring just ourselves. But when we have Christ and we've had that time with him and he's worked in us, we can then be his hands and feet at that point. And so we have to protect that. In Proverbs chapter 25, verses 27 through 28, it is not good to eat much honey, so to seek one's own glory is not glory. Whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. And that's what's happened. This is very symbolic. When the city, when the worship of my life is not walled, if it's not protected, and I have no discipline to do what I need to do, to make sure that I'm in that right place with God, that I've opened myself up to his criticism, to his correction, encouragement, whatever he has for me, that I, I have no rule over my own spirit. That's, that's the, one of the most missed gifts of the Holy Spirit, or fruit of the Holy Spirit, excuse me. In Galatians 5, 23 through 24, we know most of them, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, but it's the last one. Self-control. That's a gift of the Holy Spirit. Nehemiah comes in and says, why are you guys worried about your homes? Don't you know that a paneled home all set with broken down walls doesn't do you any good at all? Your house looks great, but you're vulnerable to everything. You need to start building some walls and putting some gates up. And so he comes in to bring them that self-control. Let's, let's get done what needs to get done. First things first. Yes, worship. Great. Good job, Ezra. But now we need to defend that worship and defend our homes that are within this city and get them protected. I am very susceptible to opening up gates or cutting holes in my wall that I've set up. I mean, Jenny and I were so strict with the first four, you know, a little less strict, a little more worn down, maybe a little wiser in some areas, I think, a little less um, stuck up. You know, 
But in a lot of ways, we have to catch ourselves saying, yeah, why are we, why are we doing this now that we didn't let the other kids do this before? Why are we watching these things now where we never let the other kids? JC and Seth, and I, I think Anna might have suffered with this too, one hour of video a week. And everybody's like, Ooh. I know, you know. And then it turned to one hour a day. That's a pretty big jump for us. And now it's, yeah, okay. <laughs> I'm tired <laughs> kind of thing. The only thing we do are careful of is what? What they watch. But even as a parent who's susceptible to being tired and older, um, not old, I'm not saying I'm old, old, but I'm a little older and a little less on my guard, I do have a tendency to maybe I need to close these gates a little more often. Maybe there's need that, that much flow in and out kind of thing. So I, I check myself every now and then, and we check ourselves and it's interesting, this month, the month of June, where the world has decided to celebrate sin and pride. And uh, been pretty vocal about it online and, and things. And in our own lives and in our own home, we've been pretty careful about what we... And then Disney, they're going to air their big um, transvestite homosexual thing that's coming up on Disney Plus or whatever. It's like, okay... You know, we got Disney Plus, and we can overlook, and we can pick and choose, and you can't boycott everything. I mean, if you boycotted all the clothing shops and everything that supported this June month, you know, of pride, we'd all be standing here with a couple hefty garbage bags. I'm not even sure hefty doesn't support as well as you watch all the rainbows show up on all these companies. It's like, oh, my goodness, you know, wow, wow. Um but that was, that was the straw for us as far as that. We saw that yesterday, and we're like, we're done. We can't do that Disney Plus anymore. I just can't. I can't support it. It's, it since Eisner's gone, I think Eisner's gone. Ever since he left, it's like it, it's, it's always been a distraction. Disney's always been just kind of a princessy kind of distraction away from what God wants us to focus on, you know. Um, but this is more. This is, this is moving in the direction of indoctrination now, and it's like how many kids are going to watch this? show that they're going to put on and how many parents are going to say, well, that's just the new, that's, that's the new normal. That's the new, uh, can't just can't. So there's things last night at eight fifty one. just so you know what it means to be vocal about these things and how the world sees it. And I posted something about Burger King and, and their mocking of Chick-fil-A and all that stuff and got into it with the guy online and all that. And you never know who, you never know who's going to do what, I don't mean to pick fights. They picked it with me. I just posted. They don't have to follow. You know, what are you watching for then? Turn it off. Banned. I block you. Got signed up for a homosexual dating site last night. ccmaryville.com did. Or ccmaryville at gmail.com did. At 8.51, I get this notification in my email. It says, welcome to Adam for Adam. Good one, guys. Change the password on my email or our email as a church and everything. But that's just a direct, it's just a dig, you know. Should expect that kind of thing. I showed Jenny. She goes, tell Seth to track it down. He can, he can track it down. I said, oh, I called Seth. He goes, just change your password. Uh, all right. Thanks, Seth. <laughs> I need a better IT guy. No, he's great. <laughs> that's what happens. Okay. Sign me up for a gay website. All right, whatever. 
pass. <laughs> People will mock your rigid religion and your new walk with Jesus, but they will also, when they need it, admire your rigid walk with Jesus. There is no middle ground. They will either despise your infatuation, your overzealous relationship with this new fad that you're going through or new phase that you're going through until they notice your steadfastness and you're very true and then they begin to admire it or when they have needs they begin to, they know who to go to but they will either hate your relationship with Jesus or they will love your relationship with Jesus but that lukewarm can never can never be a blessing in either way. It may take heat off of you for a while, but understand that before these walls were built, they were already they were already being attacked by the people around them without the walls being built. Now with the walls being built, it's going to come even harder and faster, but make no mistake about it. Your relationship with Christ has changed everything. You will never be the same. You'll never be happy with the world. The world will never be happy with you. Own that. Expect that. And then be as close to your husband as possible. If you have Solomon, I, I stole this. If you have the wisdom of Solomon, or you have the praise of David, or the faith of Abraham, and you wage war like Joshua, but you do not have the discipline of Joseph, you will fall like Samson. I stole that. That's a really good one, isn't it? You can steal it. You can have it. It's so true. Without the discipline of Joseph to be able to leave his coat behind, to be able to run from the temptation, because that's all he had an option to do, none of that other stuff matters. You've got to have that discipline, that self-control, and that's a work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And that's chapter 3. Chapter 4, let's start. <laughs> I didn't want to read it to you. It's, you can read over it yourself, but it's all the names. But that's what's happening. They're all doing what they're called to do, and they're, they're taking good steps. Verse 1. Of chapter 4, but it so happened. When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, remember who Sanballat and Tobiah and then the Arab guy, whoever his name was, what was his, his new name was? Geshem, right? So these three guys are watching them rebuild the wall. He was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews. Again, people are offended when you build walls because you're keeping them out. And he spoke before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they can complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish, stones that are burned? And then Tobiah, the Ammonite, he's his sidekick, uh, chimes in. Whatever, he, whatever they build, even a fox goes up on it, it'll break down their stone walls. He's a little sneaky little lizard, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, it's hard not to do a voice with this guy, but he, it got, you've got Sam Bell, he's like the bulldog, and then you got the little yippy dog beside him, Tobiah. Yeah, yeah, get him, you know, kind of thing. This mocking, and that's all they have are the words, and it's amazing how people's words against us can really bother us. I will go, someone will say something to me, and it's like, why did you say that? And I'll mull over it and I'll stew over it and I'll fuss over it and I'll until finally is God like 
are you going to be done with this anytime soon? Because I'd like to talk to you. I'm about done. Give me a minute here. I'm still mad at them and trying to figure out why they said it and what I'm going to say back to them when I see them again and all this stuff. Let it go, you know. It's just words. But, boy, it, it can get under your skin sometimes, and you can't let it. And so here's his response as they begin to mock and make fun of this building, you know, of the wall. Nehemiah prays, Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their reproach on their own heads. Give them as plunder to a land of captivity. Do not cover their iniquity. Do not let their sin be blotted out from before you, for they have provoked you to anger before the builders. So we built the wall, and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. That's because Nehemiah is there. They didn't have a mind to work until he showed up with his guys, but he is truly the force behind this, and I really believe that's the work of the Holy Spirit in the Christian's life. In and of my own self, I can worship God in my own strength, and I can do pretty good with my quiet time, and I can have my prayer for almost a week straight. But after a while, there's that day where you don't do it, and then it's easier to take two days before you don't do it. You begin to lose your own strength. It's the Holy Spirit in my life that keeps me going that causes me to move forward or to revive what I've become lazy in my spiritual walk. And he comes alongside and says, hey, remember what you're supposed to be doing? Oh, yeah, the wall. Oh, yeah, the gates. And then you have a mind to work, and all of a sudden you're revived and able to do it. That's what happens. That prayer, that's not our typical prayer, is it? Nehemiah's a different guy. He's not a, oh, God, let them... Let them see they're wrong. Let them understand that they could have this true and living relationship with me or with God like I have with God. Let me, now he's just like, get them, you know. Don't blot out their sin. Let it all fall on their heads. And what he means by that is he doesn't, it's not that he doesn't want them saved, not that he doesn't want them to walk with God. He just sees them as the wolves that they are in their current state and says, don't let those wolves in their current state succeed. That's an okay prayer. I'm all for people coming to Christ, but until you do, stay away from my daughters. Stay away from my sons. Stay away from our church. I want you to come, but I'm not going to let you sit here and eat people. And if you want to sit in the back row as a wolf and get to know the Lord, that's fine too. But as soon as you see you bite somebody, we're done. You know, that's just how it is. I've come here as a, as a, soon-to-be Christian guy, and I'm going to find myself a wife at church because that's where you find good women. But where were you last night, Saturday night? Well, I was at the bar. I didn't find any women, you know. So you've come here, you know. No, let's work on your relationship with Jesus first. Let's get walking with him before you start asking everybody out here or staring at everybody, making them uncomfortable or whatever it is, you know. This prayer is a good prayer. Hear, O our God, for we are despised, turn their reproach. And as long as they're reproaching me, he says, turn it on their own heads. If they want it to stop on their own heads, stop reproaching me. You see what he's doing here? He's not mean. He's not, it's not like a different kind of God in the Old Testament versus the New Testament. He's simply saying, as long as they're attacking me, I pray that it doesn't stick and that it bounces off and hits them. I mean, I learned that in grade school. We used to say that to people, you know. I don't remember the phrase we used to use, but whatever you use against me, may it bounce off me and stick to you, or whatever it is. That's all he's praying. You don't want to get hit with a rock? Stop throwing them at me, kind of thing. That's all he's saying. It's a good prayer. It's a prayer we can pray today, and I pray that. 
I prayed for the guy that signed me up for Adam for Adam. <laughs> Very similar to what I just read to you right there. I pray he gets all the Adams he could stand. Yeah, I want him saved. Yeah, I want him to not be so bitter and so angry that someone's taking a stand for Jesus Christ and righteousness. But if that's not his desire, give him his desire back on him. So we built the wall. We need to build our walls. How high is your wall? How strong are your gates? Are there any protections in place at all for your family? for your kids, for your life. If there aren't, that's what this chapter's about. It's not to criticize us or to make us feel bad. It's to maybe kick us in the rear. Let's go. Build those walls up. Get those gates back in place again. Um, Protect your worship of God at all costs um, so that you can worship in peace. And get that wall built, even if it's at half its height. Well, I don't. It's too daunting of a task. I've allowed too many gates in my life. The walls are complete. That's that was their problem before the Holy Spirit. It's just overwhelming. What needs to be done? I mean, where do you even start? What rock do I pick up first? We talked about that last week. They, Ezra didn't even know. He's like, I don't. Uh, there's just so much to do. And Nehemiah's like, Okay, here's the plan. You guys take this section. You guys take this section. You guys take that. And just build up. And all of a sudden, at the end of the day, they look around and say, hey, we're two feet. That's two feet that the enemy has to step over. It's better than the clear path they had before. Every course of brick that you lay in your life, every gate that you put on your the entrance into your world with Jesus, it's just a little bit better. Now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, and the Arabs, the Ammonites, and, and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were being uh, beginning to close or be closed, that they became very angry. And all of them conspired to come, I'm sorry, together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. Underline that. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God, and because of them, we set a watch against them day at night. That's their response. Not a, oh, no, they're going to attack. It's a, oh, yeah, they're going to attack. We're going to set a watch now. We're going to pray, but we're going to also set a watch. We're going to do the spiritual thing we need to do. We're also going to do the practical thing we need to do also. A lot of people forget the practical part in their walk. We pray, and then we stand there and hope God just, as a soft jellyfish standing here, that nothing hurts me. No. Put on the armor of God. Put up some barriers in your life. I don't care if you have to turn your internet off. I don't care if you have to cut cable off or satellite or whatever it is that you have at home. If you can't, and it's coming in, and there are ways, and you can't get your kids to stop or whatever it is, close the gates. Take some practical steps. Get some software that protects you from these kind of things. Change your passwords. You know, Do what you got to do. I didn't leave ourselves open and vulnerable to be signed up for Eve for Eve. I don't even know if that is or if that's a thing. But no, we're done. Good one, guys. No more. You know? The enemy wants to come in and create confusion in your life. And those are a lot of questions I get as well as a pastor. I'm confused. They won't say confused necessarily. You'll say, I don't know which way I'm supposed to go. And that's a normal thing. As people, we don't know which way to go. We plan our ways, but the Lord directs our steps. Those are very good verses and it's a very honest thing. But but we know the solution to that. We wait on the Lord. We pray. We ask God for direction because we don't want to make a misstep. That's normal. Confusion comes in when, and I'm always leery of that when I see a couple, a married couple, and they're not in agreement on something. 
And I don't think that we always have to agree. I think you have to yield a lot of times in your walk um, with each other because you both can't be right. And some things don't matter. Like I said before, we can make our problems bigger than they really need to be. Fine. Get the red car. I don't care. I mean, I liked blue. I wanted blue. You like red? I can drive a red car as easy. I just, can we get the car I want? You know, that kind of, who cares? Those things are piddly and minor. When it comes to spiritual things, though, when it comes to what we're going to do next, the walls we're going to build, the gates we're going to put in our lives, I think there needs to be agreement. I mean, there has to be. I think you need to pray through those things. And when there's disagreement and when you can't come to have a peace of mind on the thing where you both have the same mind on it, I think wait a little bit longer and wait till you have that until you're both in the same and are in the same place, you know, um, because Satan wants to create confusion because confusion, which is what happened to the Tower of Babel and what we see throughout Scripture, confusion brings division. It just does. People get confused. They get uh, we don't like confusion. We like to know what the next step is. And when we don't, we get defensive. We get almost angry at times. I, I hate it when I don't know something, you know. So don't ask me about it until I know it. And so then I will study and know it and learn it and get it and figure out how to do it. Um, but there is just this mechanism in me where someone says, so what are you going to do there? I don't know. You know, I don't know what I'm going to do there. Stop asking me. I haven't figured that out yet. Not confusion caused me to be defensive. And I think that happens sometimes. So they're going to try to mess up this building. That family's working over here. This family's over here. They're going to try to try to cross division. The Bible warns us, stay away from people that cause division. You have permission to eject them from your life if they're trying to divide you and Christ or you and your spouse or whatever. Gone. There's no room for that. It's a ministry. We'll wait till they're done trying to divide us and they need ministry. Then we'll serve them. If you're here to divide, mm -mm. ejected. So they made their prayer and they set a watch against them day and night. Then Judah said, the strength of of the laborers is failing, and there is so much rubbish that we're not able to build a wall. Build the wall. They're to that place now where they've built, and there's, you know, I don't know if you've ever done that kind of construction before. I I can't stand my site wherever I'm working with just stuff laying around. It just I've tried to do that, but I step on it, I twist my ankle, I roll over it. I don't know. I leave my tape measure everywhere all the time. I never know where my tape measure is and all that. It just drives me crazy. So I've learned to clean up that site, and I just pick stuff up. And it takes a lot longer to do the job, but I keep it clean because that way it's organized and I can think. But when it's cluttered, I can't think. When If our house is cluttered, I can't think. I go, I, I walk out in the garage after we just moved, and I look at the garage, and I can't think at all. There's just too many boxes and stuff everywhere, you know. And as we've been putting this stuff away and getting things cleaned up and organized in the house, I'm all of a sudden beginning to get a vision and understand and be able to settle down in my heart about things. And I think that's the way it is with our walk with the Lord. It's the same thing. They're failing because there's so much rubbish. So get out the rubbish. Pile of boxes in our garage. You know, I know you're tired. Of it. The point is I had to pull the trailer up and get rid of all that rubbish before I knew what to do next. I couldn't keep building and piling on top of and adding more to this pile of trash. I'm getting it out. I'm taking it to Maryville. I'm taking an hour. It's an hour now, 30 minutes there, 30 minutes back to dump this trash. And I'm going to come back. And now I can think. I just do. That's what they need to do. I need to take the trash out of my life. I need to get rid of the trash. 
Yes, I've built up the walls. Yes, the gates are going in. Yes, I'm walking with the Lord. I'm having my quiet time. But there's a lot of trash left over that I haven't actually thrown out in my life, and I need to get rid of that. And their strength begins to wane. So the adversaries, seeing this, they will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. So it was when the Jews who dwelt near them came, and they told us ten times, from whatever place you turn, they will be upon us. Therefore I, this is Nehemiah, positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings, and I set people according to their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. I like that. It's motivating, right? Very simple, very clear. Don't be afraid of them. They need to be afraid of God, strong and mighty. Also, you're fighting for your family's life. Fight like your lives depend upon it. Christians, my kids, lives, their spiritual life depends upon how hard I fight as a parent. How high I build the walls, how strong the gates are, I'm responsible for that as a parent. My kids are not responsible to police themselves. When they're older and walking with the Lord, they'll do that. But for me, as a parent, my responsibility is to make sure they're taken care of and that they don't have to fight all the time. Well, I'm just sending them off into their mission field. Would you send them to Africa by themselves? At their age? That's a mission field. Well, no, that's dangerous. It's no less dangerous than going into that public school. It's no less dangerous than going out with their friends over there or doing whatever. It's no less dangerous. Are they prepared? Are they equipped? Are they strong enough? Are they very important? I see what's happening now, and I I don't want to come right out and say it because I don't know if it's time yet, but... We're getting very close to kids have no business being in these schools anymore. I don't know if it's today or not. That's up to you and between you and the Lord. But if something doesn't change or if you don't keep get a handle on it or you don't run for school board and you start getting rid of this garbage, you're going to be opening your kids up to stuff. And they will have your children for eight hours a day. And you will have your children for four hours a day. And you do the math on who's going to win out as far as what they're going to learn and what they're going to follow and what they're going to do. I'm just saying, keep your eyes wide open right now as Christian parents. I'm not saying now's the time. I know we have teachers, and I know we have people in the system right now that are lovers of God and are fighting, 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 and we support them 100%. Absolutely. But there may come a time when their hands are tied and they don't have a choice, and they'll have to make a decision in their own lives. Can I continue to do this as a profession? knowing what I'm indoctrinating these kids with, knowing what I'm teaching them with. We'd be very careful about that. And so I'm responsible. Fight for your kids. Now, I'm not one to give up on that system at all. I, I'm all for you getting in there. Get your degree. Get in there and say no. And, but stand up for righteousness if you go in there. Be the principal. Be on the school board. But stand up for Christ unabashedly, unashamedly, you know. Stand up for Jesus if you're going to do that. Um, and people are doing that all over the country. It's wonderful to see, but it's a flood. And sometimes I wonder if it's just a finger in the dike. You know, these poor Christians are out there. <laughs> oh, I only have 20 appendages I can stick in these holes. I don't know how much longer I can hold this. 
And I feel for you guys, and we're praying for you. It's hard. But as parents, you have to, you have to watch. So after he gives them that talk, it happened, verse 15, when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had brought their plot to nothing, that all of us returned to the wall, everyone to his work. And so it was from that time on that half of my servants worked at construction while the other half held the spears, the shields, the bows, and the whole, and then wore armor. And the leaders were behind all the house of Judah. Those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at construction and with the other held a weapon. Every one of the builders had his sword girded at his side as he built. And the one who sounded the trumpet was beside me. It's pretty organized. Nehemiah, first of all, splits them up into 50-50. You guys stand guard. You guys work. I'm sure they flip-flopped every once in a while, but everybody that worked still had a sword on so that every man and every woman could fight at that time if they needed to. And the trumpets for a reason, too. The trumpets to sound off where the most uh, vulnerable or where the attack is happening. That's what this trumpet is for. Wherever the trumpet sounds, that's where the people will gather. Then I said to the nobles, the rulers, and the rest of the people, the work is great and extensive, and we are separated far from one another on the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. Good leader. Good leader. He's got a good plan. He's concerned about their defense. He's concerned about the moving forward of the project at all costs, but able to do that in a, in a safer way by having everybody armed and ready to go. Everybody needs to be armed with the Word of God. Everybody needs to have the sword of the Spirit at their disposal. All of us need to have that at our side. Some of us stand guard all the time. Some of us are working and still need that sword at our sides. But either way, we build. So we labored in the work, and half of the men held the spears from daybreak until the stars appeared. At the same time, I also said to the people, let each man and his servant stay at night in Jerusalem. So don't go back to your homes and the farms. Stay inside, that they may be our guard by night and a working party by day. So neither I my brethren, my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me took off our clothes, except that everyone took them off for washing. So we did take baths, he says, but for the most part, we just, we were ready all the time. And that's kind of where we leave off. My last scripture, and I know we're just running a few minutes late, but bear with me here. Jude writes a wonderful section of scripture for us, and he's a tough cookie. I like him, though. Verses 16 through 21, he describes the two different kinds of people in the world. These are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lusts, and they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last times, or last time, who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. These are sensual persons who cause divisions not having the Spirit. It's exactly what we read. Verse 20, But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And on some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, to present you faultless, before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion, power, 
both now and forever. Jude tells us what not to do and what to do. And whenever I find myself doing that first part of that list, the grumbling, the complaining, all these things, I'm on the wrong side of things. And I learn from both sides of these things. Build yourselves up a most holy faith. You, you won't regret that. And you'll be stronger because of it. And your walk will be even more beautiful than it ever has been before. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. Thank you for Nehemiah. We thank you for Ezra. We thank you for Zerubbabel, all these guys. We thank you for our walk with you and the process that we go through as you conform us into your image. We thank you that you give us exactly what we need. The right person comes into our life and teaches us and shows us and helps us. You always give us exactly what we need, whether that's a trial that can actually harden us and make us better and stronger, or whether that's a time of refreshing that can come also. You always give us what we need, and Lord, we're thankful for everything you bring into our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Have a good week, guys. Um, If you need any prayer before you go, please come up. This is a great time to get some prayer.